You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the last chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Chapter 39 On the day that Mr. Lawrence paid the reward of $10,000 to the detective, Lancelot Darling was present. He immediately wrote a check for $15,000 and tendered it to Mr. Shelton, saying gracefully, Allow me also to testify some slight sense of my gratitude, although money alone can never pay the great debt we owe you. Our hearty appreciation and faithful friendship shall unfailingly pay the interest, at least, added the banker cordially. Mr. Shelton's fine features beamed with pride and joy. He felt a pardonable elation at the wonders his skills and patience had accomplished. He felt within himself the proud consciousness that his indefatigable perseverance had nobly earned his success. Within a few weeks he had the pleasure of seeing Dr. Pratt and Harold Colville sentenced to the penitentiary for a long term of years, and Dr. Heath also was duly punished for his wickedness. The testimony of Lily Lawrence and Fanny Colville filled the thronged courtroom with horror on the day of the trial. Everyone felt that lynching would not be too bad for such villains, but the sentence of the court was duly carried out and the wretches were incarcerated in the penitentiary. Dr. Pratt served out his sentence faithfully. When it was ended, he left the shores of America for a foreign land, not as some may suppose to repent of his sins, but solely to hide his dishonored head from the contempt of all who knew him, and begin again under new auspices a second career of vice and crime. Harold Colville's patience could not uphold him, as it did his colleague the doctor. Solitude and confinement fairly maddened him. Within a few months after the trial, he hung himself in his cell and sent his wicked soul forth into the darkness of eternity. Fanny Colville was thus left a widow, and on producing requisite evidence that she had been the dead man's wife, inherited his handsome property. She took possession of his wealth, feeling herself honestly entitled to it, purchased a handsome house in the city, and brought her old mother from the country to live with her, while the friendly Mrs. Mason was duly installed as her housekeeper. In the meantime, Fanny had paid several visits to Lily Lawrence, and the two young creatures had exchanged numberless congratulations with each other on the happy termination of their mutual trials. "'I never should have recognized you, my dear,' Lily said frankly at their first meeting. "'If Mr. Shelton had not informed me who was coming, when I first saw you, I could not believe that you were not an old woman. Now you have grown young and pretty.' Fanny laughed and blushed at the compliment, and it only made her more attractive. In truth, she deserved Lily's praise. Her clear, dark complexion began to glow with health and strength. Her softly rounded cheeks had a soft tint glowing on them like the heart of a seashell. She had beautiful eyes, large, dark, and expressive, and her black hair, which Mrs. Mason had shingled close to her head, now clustered in short, silky rings about her brow, adding a charming piquancy to her pretty face. Her dress, too, was always as perfectly elegant as wealth and taste could make it, so that many more beside Lily Lawrence considered the dark-eyed widow young and pretty. Mr. Shelton was among the number of those who agreed with Lily. The forlorn young creature whom he had rescued and cared for had begun to twine herself about his heart. He was a bachelor and forty years old, but his heart was not proof against Cupid's darts. Now, since Fanny Colville had come into his path of duty, Pity and kindness had grown into love, strong, fervent, and abiding. He strolled into her drawing-room one day a few months after her husband's death and found her sitting cozily before the fire with a bit of fancy-work lying on her lap. "'I hope I do not disturb you,' he said, noting her dreamy look. "'You seem to be thinking on some very absorbing subject when I entered.' "'I was thinking of you, Mr. Shelton,' returned the young widow with a smile and a slight blush. "'Of me!' exclaimed the detective 
observing the blush with a thrill of pleasure. I hope your thoughts were agreeable ones. They could not be otherwise when I think of my kind friend and preserver, answered Fanny, giving him a gentle glance from her frank dark eyes. Oh, Mr. Shelton, when I think of myself as I was when you discovered me in that loathsome dungeon, starving and freezing in my wretched rags, and delivered me from my bonds, when I remember that and contrast it with my present happy lot, I feel that I can never repay the great debt of gratitude I owe you. I fear, he said, at length, that you overestimate the value of the service I did you, Mrs. Colville. It is true, I suppose, that I saved your life, but what then? Life to many is not as great a boon that they would thank one for saving it. Ah, but they are misanthropic, returned Fanny brightly. Life to me, Mr. Shelton, is a great boon. I love to live. I love to feel the warm blood rushing through my veins with the ardor of youth and hope. I love to feel my pulses bounding with life's fitful fever. Oh, Mr. Shelton, can I do nothing to show my gratitude for all you have done for me? The detective drew nearer and took her soft, warm hand impulsively in his own. Yes, dear Fanny, he said, his deep, manly voice trembling with emotion. Give me the life I saved for my reward. Give me your own sweet self for the day-star of my future. Be my wife. Blushing and startled, Fanny looked up into his face, but her eyes drooped swiftly before the great tenderness in his. The next moment she laid both hands in his and whispered between April smiles and tears, Take me if I can make you happy. I ask no brighter fate. Chapter 40 It was the close of New Year's Day, and Lily and Ada Lawrence stood together in the grand drawing-room, their arms fondly interlaced, the glow of firelight and gaslight shining down like a blessing on their golden heads. Ada was perfectly lovely in an elegant costume of white cashmere and blue brocaded silk. The only ornaments of her fair girlish beauty were knots of fragrant blue and white violets. "'My darling sister,' said the younger girl affectionately, "'you look very weary. Sit down here in this comfortable armchair and rest.' She drew forward the chair as she spoke, but before Lily could seat herself, two more visitors were announced. They were Lancelot Darling and Philip St. John. Lancelot's friend was duly presented to Lily, and after a little friendly chatter, Lance stole away with his darling to the quiet library. "'My dearest, I am very selfish,' he said to her fondly. "'I want you all to myself, that I may look at you, listen to you, and feel that my happiness is real, and not a dream from which I may awaken to the pangs of bereavement.' They sat down together on a low divan before the glowing fire. Lancelot drew the golden head down upon his breast and pressed passionate, lingering kisses on the sweet red lips of his long-lost darling. "'My darling,' he whispered presently, "'our wedding day has been long deferred. When shall I have the happiness of claiming you before all the world?' "'Papa and Ada could not bear to give me up yet,' said Lily, smiling at his eagerness. "'I do not want to be selfish, love,' he said." I know you wish to stay with them a little longer, and I know how hard it would be to them to give you up now. But you must pity my loneliness and come to me soon. I want to get my roses back first, she answered demurely. I am so weak and weary from all that I have suffered that I should be a pale and faded bride if I came to you now. You must wait, dear Lance, until I grow strong and well again before I don the bridal veil. How long must I wait, then? he inquired. Till the roses come again, she answered. You know how I love the summer, with its beautiful sunshine and fragrant flowers. I should like for the happiest event of my life to be associated with the sweetest month in the year. Let it be in June. Lance was beginning a passionate protest when the door opened and Mr. Lawrence entered. The banker looked very bright and happy as his eyes fell on the handsome pair before him. Here, Papa, said Lily, making room for him beside her. I am very glad you have come, for I think Lance was just about to find fault with me. 
On what pretext? inquired her father, kissing her sweet, upturned lips. For cruelty, said Lance promptly. She actually intends to defer our marriage until June. Soon enough, said the banker, laughing at the young man's impatience. You must leave us our darling yet a while, Lance. Come and see her every day if you choose, my boy, but do not persuade her to leave us yet. It will be hard to give her up, even to you. When the beautiful month of roses came round again, Mr. Lawrence had to lose both his lovely daughters. Philip St. John had wooed and won the beautiful girlish Ada, and Lily's bridal day was to be hers also. Once again, Lily stood in her old familiar chamber, with the robes of satin and lace trailing over the velvet carpet, and the snowy mist of the bridal veil hiding the blushes that came and went on her lovely face. There's no one to envy your happiness now, Lily, said Ada as she clasped the pearl necklace about her sister's snowy neck. That dreadful woman is dead. It is so cruel a thing to remember, dear. Let us try to forget the sin and forgive the sinner. Amen, said Ada solemnly. Mr. Lawrence came in and kissed and blessed them with a sadness on his face that he could not wholly hide. The only alleviation to the sorrow of that hour was the knowledge that he was giving the happiness of his beloved children into the keeping of good men and true. Papa, you must not forget what I told you once before, whispered Lily, through April tears and smiles. You will not lose your daughters. You will only gain two sons. Lily was to go to a beautiful home on Fifth Avenue, close to that of her father. Lancelot had been busy for months preparing his splendid mansion for the homecoming of his bride, and now it only awaited the sunshine of her presence to become an earthly Eden. Ada and her husband were to live with the banker. His great house would be so lonely, the old man pleaded, with both his darlings gone. So they yielded to his wish and promised to make his house their home as long as he lived. The grand portals of Trinity Church opened wide to admit the two lovely brides. New York had never seen a grander marriage, nor brides so lovely, nor bridegrooms more gallant and handsome. Trinity was thronged with their friends, and the pavements outside were crowded with interested spectators. No marriage had excited so much interest for years as that of the lovely girl whose romantic story was known far and wide. She is beautiful as a dream, they whispered, when the first bride passed over the flower-strewn pavement to the church steps, and the sisters equally lovely, they cried rapturously when the trembling Ada followed after her. God bless them both, whispered a good woman who had a prominent seat in the church. It was Mrs. Mason, the kind soul whom Lily had not forgotten when her wedding cards were issued to her friends. So amid good wishes and blessings, the fair brides passed up the stately aisle on the arms of their father, followed by a score of lovely bridesmaids in snowy flower-bedecked robes. At the altar, they were met by Lancelot and Philip, and then, above the pealing notes of the wedding march, the minister's voice arose in the beautiful words of the marriage service. Silence brooded over the throng softly as the wings of a dove, while the holy, reverent words filled the church. In the stillness, the sweet responses of the brides were even distinctly audible. The rings were slipped upon their fingers, the solemn words of the benediction were spoken, and then, with the sweet strains of music echoing above their heads, the fragrance of flowers beneath their feet, and the tender blessings of friends around them, the two beautiful brides, with their chosen mates, went forth with smiles to the future that lay beaming in the sunshine of love and happiness. The End This concludes our reading of The Bride of the Tomb, or Lancelot Darling's Betrothed by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Stay tuned to hear what our next story will be. This production of The Bride of the Tomb featured the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voiced the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. 
Midi Storytime in the Spare Chains Library, produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.